here. None of happening in different ways. It's all exciting to make memories. But uh, it's so nice to be here. And on this, especially on this long weekend, a lot of people away, but the most important people in the church are actually gathered. We're <laughs> really thankful for that. Not been released from the nursing home yet again. I've got one more attempt. Um, I want to talk quickly about Hawaii, and just for a moment, uh, international. Uh, we've got a mission trip coming up, uh, two mission trips coming up. We take teams on. I'm going to India and all sorts of places in the meantime, but we're going to India on the 9th to the 22nd of June. So we're looking for a team. We only take about, I like to take about seven or eight, it's quite manageable. Uh, so you're welcome to come to India in June or Bangladesh in August. Join us. It's a, it's a spiritual pilgrimage as well as a pilgrimage to the Bible. So lives get changed, you know. And there are a number of people in this church who have been on trips to uh, Victoria, Mark, and uh, Mark's my personal bodyguard. I, I, I'm just taking him everywhere I go. But uh, if you want to go on a mission trip, note those dates and please come and see me. And also, just in relation to our Bangladesh project where we rescue little girls who have been trafficked, beaten, um, kidnapped, abused, uh, taken to the border, drugged, uh, rescued, and we bring them into a care facility. We need more sponsorship. So if you want, if you would care to, um, please sign up a sponsorship form there at the back table, and Mark will be up at the back table there, and he can answer any questions about mission trips as well. And you can sponsor a little girl like Sati, who's in our in our project at the moment. And the girls have just done so well from when they, the time they arrived at our gate, just absolutely hammered and battered to the time recently where they graduated from their first, from, uh, their first lot of education. Uh, we can see the transformation has just been incredible. So, and it will continue to be for the coming years as they recover. So anyway, that's all I want to say about how we look. We really need a sponsorship. There are more kids to be rescued, but we need to underwrite the children that we currently got. There are 36 at the moment. We want to take 60 eventually in that project. All right, how are you side? I want to talk about my favorite subject in a moment, but before I want to do that, I just want to make you all depressed. Uh, these are some tumultuous times, and uh, uh, Teresa of Avila in the 16th century, she said it's like the whole world is on fire. But I look at today's world, I think the whole joint's on fire again, you know. And I watch with horror what's happening in Ukraine, and with even the church blessing what's happening in Ukraine, this artificial criminal in Russia, the Lord forgive him. I look at the pandemics, I look at famines and poverty, uh, financial pressures, I look at so many people dying around the world from hundreds and uh, destitution, and I just think, you know, we're in a tough place here in the world. Human trafficking and orphans and abuse and murder, all the stuff that goes on globally. And it just seems so horrific. So in the midst of all of these challenges, I was researching what Australians think about Jesus. And the most recent research we have in our community is that 20% of people believe Jesus was divine. 20% is quite a high figure in some ways. But it means 80% of people don't believe that Jesus was God. 50% of people in Australia believe that Jesus actually lived. There was an historical person called Jesus. 20% believe that he was a fictional character. He didn't even exist, despite the evidence. 
30% just so that they don't know, whatever. But at the same time, I was astounded by the bottom statistics, 34% of Australians believe extraterrestrials have visited the Earth. 49% <laughs> of Australians believe in ghosts. Yeah, but only 20% believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So we know that many Australians are familiar with the Christmas story, Mary uh, and uh, Joseph and Jesus. They, 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 they know about baby Jesus. They might even know about the cross because we have Easter and we have this thing called our cross. But in face of incredible confusion about Christ, and in the challenging times in which we live, when there is incredible fear around the world, I was at the, the swimming pool at uh, North Narrabeen the other day, uh, just preparing for my next triathlon, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I met a guy there who was uh, a, a ex-soldier, and he'd been injured, you know, and he was there to do some rehab in the pool, and he, he just wanted to talk to me, you know, and he just opened up, and basically, I said, what do you think is going to happen in our world? He says, just hold your grandchildren close because it's going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm fascinated, however, in the midst of all of this, by the person of Jesus Christ, my wife will tell you that I'm absolutely, uh, not only fascinated, but stuck well beyond that I need care. I stick because I am so focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And the more I study and the more preoccupied I become with Christ, the more I realise I don't really know who He is. And yet I know a lot, but I don't really know, you know. There's so much more. And the more I study and read and the more I sit with Jesus in prayer and in devotion, the more I realise, wow, He's much bigger and much greater and much beyond anything that I can imagine. So I'm fascinated by Christ and I want to actually see if I can virally implant some fascination fresh in your heart this morning. Paul said, I want to know Christ. He says, I actually consider all things lost compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. That was Paul's vision. His, his driving life vision and concern was to know Christ. So this morning I want us to think about Jesus and find hope and encouragement in these things. And I want us to do a little exercise mentally I wonder what it would be like to somehow travel outside the universe as we know it and from some elevated place outside the universe look down on creation and to somehow be assured that actually God is at work in the world and that he has a plan and that all will be well. Maybe we could get Elon Musk to invent some kind of travel rocket or Back to the future, the Orion kind of vehicle just takes off you and just goes outside of everything and just is able to get a bird's eye view on the whole picture of what is happening in Jesus Christ. And I want us to consider, as we look down from an elevated view, the movement of God in Jesus Christ in six ways this morning. So I'm going to give you a little bit of theology, but I just want you folks, just stay with me. It's just going to get better and better, I promise you. <laughs> First of all, we start off, we say, there is God. So in our elevated position, looking down on the cosmos, on everything that's created, we have an awareness, all there is, is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal, neither having a beginning or an end. The Son eternally proceeds from the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son eternally. No beginning, no end. 
John in Colossians says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It tells us that God was from eternity. The psalmist wrote, Before the mountains were born, and you brought forth the earth, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So there is this being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, who always has been. Then from our elevated position, as we watch on, we see there's a movement. There's the movement of the Son of God in creation. So what happens in creation? There comes into being, suddenly, something that wasn't. There comes into existence all kinds of things. That there be light, that there be stars, that there be planets, the earth. So we have plants, animals, and humankind coming into being. So something comes into being which is not God for the first time. Which is the first time. Let there be light. So there is a moment seen in creation when what comes into being is other than God. And as we look on and as we watch history unfold from our elevated position, looking down, we see something that's quite staggering and mind-boggling. There's the movement, this next movement of the incarnation, where this eternal Son of God, who always proceeds from the Father, who is one with the Father from eternity, suddenly comes to earth and takes on human flesh. There's a time when God actually becomes a figure within his own creation. When the Word of God, if you like, the Logos of God, the logic of God, becomes a human being, takes on human flesh within Mary, a young teenage peasant girl, and he comes into this world. The eternal Son takes a human body, he fully enters into creation as a human. And then we look on in amazement even further, the third movement. There's this movement then, as it unfolds, of the ministry and the death of Jesus Christ. So we look on and we see Jesus growing up. He's just a normal boy, plays with little kids. By age 12, he's lecturing in Jerusalem, in the temple. And he begins his ministry, a short-term ministry, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. We can paraphrase his ministry this way. He's saying, God's rule, God's rule, His reign is breaking in. In fact, it's here now. And you need to reorient your, reorientate your lives around this good news and live under His kingly rule now. It's breaking in. It's here. Come and follow me. And then the Gospel writers, as we watch on, uh, in this, they, they, they give us some help because they describe how Jesus actually became king. There was a process. Luke 23, 33 reads, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the other criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So we can ask, when is Christ crowned king? It's on Good Friday, on the cross. The crucifixion is the coronation of King Jesus. His royal procession to assume his throne took place as he carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. His crown was made of thorns. His scepter was a reed. And his throne was the cross itself. 
And as Jesus ascends to his throne to commence his reign as king in agony, he says, Father, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Amazing. And the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, begins his reign by laying down his life and forgiving others. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. As one writer puts it on Good Friday, the sin of the whole world coalesced into a hideous singularity and was sinned with violence into the body of the Son of God. The divine response of the Father forgives them. They don't know what they do. One of the criminals crucified with Christ looked at the inscription that was hanging above Jesus' head on the cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he looks and he actually believes it. And he prays, he said, oh Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Today you will be in paradise. Incredible. Perhaps the greatest statement of faith found in all scripture. Christ upon the cross is saving the world and he was saving you and me. And he always offers that, doesn't he? If we will just look to him as king, we will have the assurance that one day we will certainly be with him in paradise. But as we continue to look down at this unfolding story, there's another movement. There's the movement of the resurrection of Jesus. Three days later, he rises from the dead. It's a bodily resurrection. The still human son of Mary rises from the dead. And when we think about Jesus and his resurrection, the point I want to make really quickly this morning is to also think about your resurrection. As I get older, I'm getting more excited about my resurrection. As death, as death inevitably gets closer and closer, I'm getting more excited about rising from the dead this morning. When we go through death's door, we immediately go into the care of Jesus. This is what will happen. You die, we'll have a nice service for you here. Tim might pick up some nice things to say about you. And then we put you in the ground or we, we cremate you. But the moment you die, you go immediately into the presence of Jesus who will care for you and embrace you. Immediately into his presence. Someone's excited about it. <laughs> anyway, and then at a future point, at the great appearing of Christ, our dead bodies will be raised, they will be reconstituted at the great resurrection. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem will descend down from heaven, and he will make all things new. But the resurrection is so much more. Uh, Professor uh, Sharifine Nordley, the daughter of the late Gordon Fee, commenting on Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, said this. She said, you know, some people believe that we're just going to be like angels, you know, some kind of androgynous beings. But no, we who are children of the resurrection of Jesus, we all get our particular lives back and restored and renewed and able to not only be in communion but with God, but to get to do other stuff as well. As resurrected children of God, we will steward the light of God in whatever the new creation will be. I can't wait. Well, I can't wait, but I cannot wait. 
I cannot wait to be totally healed. I totally transformed great bitch. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Something good been praying for that for a long time. <laughs> With the shadow side gone and healed, the sinful self utterly gone, able to love and to be the fullest expression of myself. Being the way I was always meant to be. Able to love my wife in a way that I really want to love my wife. Able to remember people's names. <laughs> Imagine, what if we are destined to infinite love and our capacities for that ever expanding? Fred Jesus wrote recently, we will at last be cleansed of our lives, lives, bathed of our shame, healed of our wounds, freed from our addictions, and released from our egoism. Even our self-righteousness will be healed. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. And it's not like, well, oh, one day at the resurrection I'll be changed. No. Here and now I want to be as close to my fully transformed self as I can be. Right. That's the invitation of the Christian life to live the cruciform Christian life now because I am a child of the resurrection and so are you. Don't you believe that? You're a child of the resurrection. You're a child of the resurrection. Some of you will look, look like you've already fallen asleep in Christ this morning. Maybe you've already been resurrected and you don't know, but you are a child of the resurrection. And you will rise from the dead to be forever with the Lord. And you'll be the very best and perfect expression of yourself. You won't just be sitting around in a cloud playing a harp or two. Now, to understand this more fully, we need to look at the next movement. Because not only did he rise from the dead, promising our resurrection, but he then ascended. He was the ascended, glorified Christ. Forty days later, Jesus ascends to the Father, still fully human. He didn't shake off his humanity. He wasn't temporarily human. He is eternally human even now. Now, the... The ascension of Christ is the exaltation and glorification of Christ. We know that in theology. But I want to say that the ascension of Christ is not the evacuation of Christ. It's not Christ saying, you know, bye-bye, 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 that's really bad theology. So the ascension of Christ is not about the absence of Christ. It's about, in fact, the pervasive uh, presence of Christ here and now. Christ is exalted to the right hand of God. But don't think of Christ like some kind of astronaut who just flew off into space somewhere and is sitting on a chair somewhere. That's not the ascension and exaltation of Christ. So where is the right hand of God? Where is it? It's everywhere. Right. It's everywhere. He's not far off. Christ is always with us. His promise is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is seated in the place of honour at the Father's right hand, far above rule and authority and power and leaders in every age. 
But many people are not convinced that Jesus is Lord right now. Politically over the nation. Oh my goodness. How do you come to grips with that? We're tempted to think that Jesus is absent and that someday he will come back and actually rule the nations. That's a big misunderstanding of the gospel. And that mistake leads to so many other things. How we understand our life, nations, the kingdom, politics, salvation, pretty much everything. And I always think if we don't get the ascension right, it's going to have an influence on pretty much everything else you know about Jesus and what came to think about him. So in the ascension, Jesus goes from being the, the one place, one time Jesus. Like when he was on the earth, he'd be in Bethany, he'd be in Nazareth, he'd be in Galilee. One place at one time. He goes from that to being the everywhere Christ. Now, to throw a light on this, I must turn to Colossians 1. You've got the technology there. And uh, you might turn and push it up. You've got it on the screen. Yeah. Colossians 1. This passage is the Mount Everest of Paul's theology of Christ. It doesn't get any richer or more poetic in all scripture, in my view. This passage was written to address a lot of heresies about Christ about 30 years after Jesus uh, was resurrected and ascended. And I want you to notice in the text how many times Paul says all things, highlighted it, or useful. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things. He is before all things. All things hold together in him. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn born from the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And therefore to reconcile all things. Whether things on earth, etc. In heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's unpack it really quickly. Now, you can't go any higher than this, in my view, in Christology. Right. If you want to talk about the greatness of Christ and the supremacy of Christ, Colossians 1 is probably the sum. And the claims that Paul makes here are stunning. We'll put them up. We don't have them chiming in one at a time, but we'll, we'll try and do that. First of all, he says Christ is before all things. So Paul, a Pharisee who had encountered Christ, was forever changed, and he says... Christ had no beginning. He was the eternal Christ. Eternally proceeding from the, from the Father. He has no beginning. He was and is before all things. Secondly, Christ has first place in all things. There is no equal to Christ. No great guru or saint or angel or mystic is equal to Christ. That's what That's what our boast is in Christ alone. He is first place in everything. He created the cosmos. He created us. He descended into death so that he could bring us to resurrection. Don't put your trust in anyone who can't raise you from the dead. <laughs> Amen? I mean, there's a lot of gurus out there spinning all kinds of stuff. Don't trust them unless they can give you a resurrection life. Thirdly, all things were created in and through Christ. All things were created by Christ. In the beginning was the Logos, the Christ. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. All things were created by Christ and for Christ. 
They find their true telos, their ending in Christ. All things. In Christ, all things hold together. Now this is where we really get very practical for us today. The world will not blow itself up in a nuclear war. So relax. Well, kind of relax. We need to be working for peace, blessed peacemakers for their love for children. But the world will not end in a nuclear great blast. Because Christ holds all things together. I think of Christ on the cross with his arms outstretched. He is holding all things together. The world could tear itself apart with some of the megalomaniacs that we, we see out there today. But there is one who holds everything together. Jesus Christ is the center that holds your life right now. And it may not feel like that sometimes. Like It may not feel like that sometimes. When we're going through suffering and pain, you know, it doesn't feel like that sometimes. But I promise you, Christ is holding you. And he's holding all things together. Your life is held by Christ in what Dostoevsky. It's funny I can't remember his name, but I can't remember your name. But um, <laughs> Dostoevsky beautifully calls co-suffering love. Co-suffering love. A synonym for Christ's empathy, compassion, and solidarity, and presence with us even as we go through pain and affliction. Right. Sometimes you will experience healing, sometimes not. Sometimes you experience God's presence and sometimes you experience what feels like his absence. But he holds you in your suffering. He holds you in this moment in your life. He is present and he's always working. You can't see it, but you will see it one day. St. John of the Cross famously said that God is nearest to us when we release our God. And then fifthly, in Christ, God has reconciled all things to himself. All things brought back into right relationship. And, the, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where he's on this again, 15, 28, that all of this is so that God may be all in all. So, because Christ is the Christ of all things, my friends, in the end, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> Amen. It's going to be alright. And, you know, because Christ is the Christ of all things, Christ is before all things, He has first place in all things, all things were created in Christ and through Christ, He holds everything together, He's reconciling everything to Himself, everything is going to be okay. It reminds me of Paul's most famous all things saying, Romans 8, 28, we all know, and we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who will be called according to his purpose. So the world will be saved because Jesus is the saviour of the world and he's not a failed mission leader. The world will be saved because Jesus is the saviour of the world. End time preachers and writers who go on and on about doom and gloom and the latest theories about the end Christ global destruction, red moon, jigsaw puzzles, or whatever, are almost always proven wrong. Because Jesus Christ is the Christ of all things. And the new heavens and the new earth are coming. The restoration of all things is about to break in. And I often quote Julian of Norwich, one of my favourites, and the famous line that all will be well. All, all will be well. And she writes, and all manner of things. 
will be well. That's my trust and my hope. But just lastly, from our time machine, we're still in our time machine, you know, flying somewhere above everything, we look down and we see another movement. It's the appearing of Christ. I don't like the term second coming, it's actually the third coming of Christ. I like the term, the appearing of Christ. Our hope is in Christ appearing with suddenly heaven, that is actually very near, because heaven's only another dimension, suddenly unzips the universe as we know it unzips, and we come into this other reality, and Christ appears in all of his fullness and glory, physically, and we will all behold him. The dead in Christ will arise, shooting out of their graves, reconstituted, the joint's going to be the wild. Indeed, your birth is wild. Isn't it? That's not, that's not that. What do you see there? That's nothing. So this other dimension is revealed in Jesus Christ as Lord will suddenly be revealed and we will enter into the new creation and the new re- and the resurrection. His glorious appearing will be mind-boggling. So let's put it together this way. It might seem like your world for the moment and the larger world is coming apart. It might seem like, you know, things are going pretty tough. Things are hard for you. It might, it might seem for you at the moment like, and your experience is that you're going through a lot of suffering, you know, you know, some afflictions, difficult times. Don't be afraid to put yourself in the hands of the Christ of all things. Put yourself in the hands of the Christ of all things. Not only is he capable of putting your life back in order, but he can be trusted to keep it together and to continue to work in you. Be encouraged. The eternal Christ who was before all things, who created everything, the Christ who was king, who in love died on the cross, who promises you eternal life in paradise, who rose from the dead, who will resurrect you, who ascended to the Father and reigns over everything. The Christ who is first place in everything, who holds everything together, who's reconciling everything, who will make all things new. That Christ is with you right now, and he's for you, and he's holding you today. Amen. Amen. Now, if you don't know that Jesus, if you don't know that Jesus, what can you do? But what do you do with that? Well, you, the Bible says you can seek and when you seek him with all your heart, the Bible says you will find him. And so I encourage you to pray. Because I believe there is a longing which Simon Wheel, uh, Simon Wheel, right, called the longing, uh, she called it the longing for the absolute good. There is a longing in every human heart for God. And that longing you have in your heart that there's more, that there's something else that, you know, you have kind of connected with really who you are and what you're meant for, that longing is probably the longing that God has put in your heart for yourself. So what do you do? You pray and say, Lord, show me yourself. Or maybe like the thief on the cross, you just look to Jesus this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the king. I believe you're the king. I'm following you. And would you have a place for me in paradise? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Is it good news? Amen. Oh, amen. Sure it is. It's good news, you know. I love